welcome once again to Heavy Strategy, where unanswered questions are a lot more important than unquestioned answers. Uh, Greg and I today want to take on the question of what is training? How do you do it right? And what? how do you measure that you've done it right? I think mm. I've sort of captured the big, the big picture. Greg, is that kind of where we want to go? Question here is whenever you talk about training or education in the technology context, to me, there's two issues here. There's, there's, you do it and you're good at something. But the challenge then is when you go back to the business, they say like, okay, you've been off and done your, whatever it is, your training program in databases or, you know, network, being networking or whatever. Can I measure what you learned? How can I prove that the money that I spent, because businesses tend to, aside from all the money they waste on golf games and executive salaries, which apparently are quality controlled and approved, right? But you know, <clears throat> yes, of course, it's perfectly valid to give a CEO 180 million a year, such as Pat Gelsinger in uh, Intel. But uh, he's got a quality control board called the company board, yes. who actually yes, ensure that he's and they've vetted him. They've vetted him rigorously. I'm sure. I'm Quite sure. Rigorously. I'm sure. I'm sure. But you know, execs very rarely have to answer. <laughs> but the thing is that they're actually paid to demand that the money that they spend is actually getting good value. And quite often that's ephemeral, but in education and training, it is very much a soft process. That is, it's not, it's a squishy, you, you can't squeeze it and say, right, you know, it's this big, it's this tall, it's this mate, weighs this much. Um, it's like, oh, you went on a course and you learned something good. Now you'll be better at something. That's the first part. So I think the way to talk about this is probably the, there's two aspects of this. What is training in 2023 in the modern era? What does it look like? And then maybe the second part is then how do you measure it? Now, you've got ideas on this. Now, we may not get to that today. I suspect we won't because I think you and I are going to have an argument about the difference of what is education versus training and whether you should be doing it on the job or whether you should be doing it in an institution. Well, we may have an argument. I'm not sure yet, mm. uh, but I'll, I will bring my perspective to this, which is for the past several years, uh, Nemertis has been deeply involved in offering various flavors of leadership training to various organizations, including but not limited to IT groups that are seeking to really internalize things like agile processes, because just to take as an example, everybody knows what Agile processes are. There are plenty of handbooks for Agile, how to be Agile. Here's the process for being Agile. But where it breaks, and it does break on a regular basis, is that Agile and DevOps require the feet on the street to be making binding decisions with consequences in real time. Mm. And it turns out that people suck at making binding decisions with consequences in real time because they've spent their entire lives in institutions that don't allow them to do that, that everything's got to be run up the flagpole, either because you don't trust your own judgment or because despite trusting your own judgment, you know darn well that unless you've run it up the flagpole, somebody's going to just trip you out because they can because it didn't get That's, run up the flagpole. I, I love the idea of right, that you're using the term run it up the flagpole, which is a really old American military term, which is you run an idea up the flagpole and see who salutes. Is exactly. That. Well, there, it's there. It, it's mm. not a coincidence because mm. our director of uh, adaptive leadership training is, in fact, a military officer, former West Point instructor, military veteran, combat veteran who has made his life's work the study of effective leadership on mm -hmm. the battlefield. Mm. And it turns out that unsurprisingly, the problems that we have in IT departments and cybersecurity departments are almost identical in one sense to the ones that are in the battlefield, which is there is no time to run some of these major decisions up the flagpole, mm -hmm. either because you're trying to be agile and everything, if you have to go up five steps in the chain of command and come back down five steps, 
three months have passed and your competitors have already, yeah. you know, deployed that. Or because it's cybersecurity and you have to make a decision very, very quickly because mm. health of your organization depends on it. So those yeah. are those are two scenarios in which speed is essential and you just don't have the time for that running up the flagpole. Yeah, and, and the interesting part about the training is or education, which is the where we're, where we're headed here, is that in the military they used to have a very up and down structure. And you only did what you was told and you didn't do anything else. But a modern military is very different. What they do is they say, this is the task, go and execute it. Yeah, it's called Mission Command. Mission, and yeah. that is, and Don Vandergriff, our director of uh, adaptive leadership training, is in fact one of the world experts on mm. implementing Mission Command in lots of different organizations. Which gets to your point, Greg, because you wanted to start this discussion by saying, is training different from education? Is education different from training? And I will take a stance that sidesteps the question of definitions, although mm. we can certainly come back to it. Mm. But when Don talks about the desired outcome of what he does, which is leadership, you know, loosely called leadership training, uh, he essentially puts it in three phases mm. that the participants will know something. That's phase one. OK, you've accomplished something if they know something. Do something. So are they going to behave differently in situations. Now you're really cooking with gas. Know something is great, but it's theoretical. Do something means you're going to hmm. get different outputs in in real world scenarios. But the pinnacle of this is to be something. It's it's really no do be. And at the end, you're striving to create someone who can think on his or her feet, who can make decisions well, not necessarily even to have particular decisions in particular scenarios made well. Whether you call that education or training, I think it's kind of interesting because it goes all the way back to the Greek and Roman models of, of then education, where the goal was to create a you know well-rounded human, a person who had physical strength and de dexterity, who was smart, who could think critically, who could speak well. It was sort of like the, the end goal was clearly rec recognized as the B piece of this no-do B. Mm. So I think what you're promoting there is that this idea that your people should be able to act within parameters autonomously. So you should be given a mission to complete and then you should be able to then have the skills <clears throat> and the ability to decision make uh, and make active decisions within the, the parameters that have been delegated to you. Now, that actually Correct. sounds very intuitive, but if you've ever worked in a factory production line, that is not. And so much of what's wrong with ITIL, just so I can have a beat up on ITIL, is oh, exactly that. Oh, right? absolutely. Go for it. You're just, you know, operate the machine. You're not allowed to think. The job has been defined for you in the ITIL documentation. The operations guide decides what you're allowed, allowed not to do. You have no autonomy. You have no decision-making. Do exactly. You are just a robot, right? And, of course, that's not how IT works. It's very flexible. Uh, one topic we might want to cover one day is the idea about real 100% uptime and the difference between what we do in IT, which is a clown, sh clown show. But uh, mm -hmm. I just read an article from a nuclear com from a nuclear operator about the difference between how they work and how IT works, and I was just laughing out loud because I. Oh, I both. would love to read that, Greg, because yeah. my my dad actually. Oh, side note, but my yeah. dad was a uh, nuclear submariner mm -hmm. who then went to work in the civilian nuclear industry. So the so the the step down from military engineering to civilian engineering, and then from that to IT IT engineering, I'm sure these are just like massive steps down each step. <laughs> so it'd be really fun to hear that. Yeah. So let's, I think, first of all, the thing to look at when we talk about 
training is sometimes we need to differentiate between education and training. Now, educa- See, this is where we can argue, because yeah, I'm right. not sure we do, because if we can collectively agree that the goal is no, do, be, mm. I don't really care whether you call it education or training. Yes. Um, you know, there may be specific skills that are involved. You know, I keep thinking back to the Greeks, uh, and I can't remember which which uh, mm-hmm. which famous Greek it was, the guy that was walking on the beach with rocks in his mouth so that he could learn to articulate clearly. Mm. You know, that's a skill, so that would be training, but the goal is really education. So, yeah, yeah I guess... I, I, I feel like it's a, it's a false dichotomy, but I, go I, ahead. I don't disagree with you, but I think in terms of technology and the way that the industry has developed is you can go and get training from a number of sources so you can go to a vendor training you can go to a training company and they'll teach you a very narrow set of knowledge about a particular technology or a particular product quite often we have vendor training which is the the industry norm uh, the vendors have filled in stepped into that gap and as a way to promote their products and for and vendor training is very much about extracting ROI from their products their products are hard to use badly designed, difficult to operate, and therefore you create vendor training and then customers can get ROI from them. But I think education is is different. I think education is when you go to university and you study a computer science degree and you understand how CPUs work, how code works. What You can learn those things on your own and you can even get the education on your own, but it's very difficult to do so in training and perhaps the one thing that i often talk about is that education often involves fundamentals whereas training just teaches you the bare minimum to get you back on the job let me start by saying i agree with you 100 percent on everything you've said but i still think you're wrong and here's why (laughs) Um, but 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 it is really quite true yes i i really firmly agree with the whole notion that engineering degree serves the purpose of teaching you the really hard things that you wouldn't otherwise get exposed to. Mm. Before we started the show, we were talking about the fact that I was just delighted to have Mm. been on this session with my colleague who was revisiting the proof of Gödel's theorem, which Mm. I had learned many, many years ago and would never on my own in a million years relearn without the fact that I was actually engaged in this discussion about it and working with my colleague. It was really fun, by the way. Mm. Uh, and and if you've ever been interested in Gödel's, in Gödel's theorem, I heartily recommend it. But if you superpose everything you said on this idea of, well, training is narrow, products focus, focused, and the goal is ROI for that product, and education is broad, multi-purpose, and the the goal is to teach people something that they might not otherwise learn. Still, if you superpose that on the no do be model, you still are just talking about the no component of everything. And I would argue that some of what we call training can, in fact, be span that full spectrum. Mm. A lot of it is just figure out how to configure the switch or whatever. Well, that's clearly in the no, it's not even doesn't even make it to the do and doesn't Mm. even conceive of the be. But vendor training that says the ideal goal is to have, uh, you know, an automation engineer who is capable of doing this, this, this and this, if vendor training were set up with that as the goal, it would actually be, you know, it would cover the full spectrum. And similarly, Education often stops at the no and never gets to the do and the be. So to my point, my my sense is, yeah, but so what? So the difference between the different flavors of no Mm -hmm. in my head is like how many angels can dance on the head of a pin. Let's talk. The bigger problem is how do you get from no to do to be? I don't disagree with you. And a lot of education doesn't equip you for real work. However, Mm -hmm. I would point to you that 
you know, when I was studying for my engineering degree, which I never finished for health reasons, has fared me better in 35 years than the training course I took in 1990. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Oh, abs- abso- absolutely. I did a three-day training course on three com routers using FIDI to token ring back in, right? like, you know. Whatever. None of that mm. is relevant today. Mm. Yeah, no, I agree. My uh, I, I, And I have to say, my ex-husband, who went mm. on to become a professor very justly, you know, kind of kicked me into taking a handful of courses in one of the most operating systems. And he just said, you have to take this. It's important. Mm. That's one of the most important courses I've ever taken in my entire life. Yeah. So, yes, there are these courses that really matter because they, they affect how you see the world. <laughs> and that is why employers often ask or make a requirement that people have a degree because they right. want. And I think employers who are looking for degrees are often... And this is not necessarily true because the process of writing job descriptions is far from scientific and precise. It's usually just gobbledygook spat out on a page. It might just as well be chat GPT as anything else. Um, <laughs> and it often is. Yeah. <laughs> if you want a degree, you may actually be looking for somebody longer term because you understand the concept that degrees equip you with better fundamentals. However, that's it. On-the-job training is, especially in technology, and let's just put everything in there, let's forget most of the other contexts, commercial learning opportunities in modern IT are very different. And the first one is access to manuals. When I first started in IT, the only manuals you got came in the box of software or with the hardware or whatever. And you basically had to read those and that was your learning opportunity. But now today you've actually got many more product specific resources. Well, be- before online. you before you go on to mm. how things have changed since you were a boy, yeah. I want to circle back to the to the requirement for a degree because mm. uh, you know there's other thing other places we want to go. But I just mm. want to do a, a shout out to the fact that it's become very, very trendy these days to say Oh, we don't require a college degree because that's yeah. all, all hypothetical and theoretical nonsense. And let's just both, you know, hi- highlight that as that perspective is nonsense. Because essentially, if you don't understand the concept of something that's N- NP complete, how are you developing algorithms that make any sense? Yeah. Sorry, yeah, don't I, get it. Yeah, I so. agree. And 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 there are there are a whole range of points around that. You know, there are skills that you learn inside of a form of education process we'll touch more on that when we talk about the value of each one but on the job training now is much more practical in it because you can get access to manuals online they're there you can get very product specific manual resources or even white papers which help you understand the systemic environment they're in you can join in study groups online although they faded out a little bit they're not as popular as they used to be and then you've also got all the commercial opportunities right you go over for a week but don't ever make the mistake that a one week locked up yeah, well, yeah. Don't ever make the mistake that a one-week training course, 40 hours of training, is going to be a substitute for a four-year degree yeah, because no. it's just not, right? There's just not it's enough just time not. to teach you anything substantial well, in and, that and, and I would argue that the difference is in focus as well because mm. training – training and we haven't gotten to the whole metrics but there there's got to be a component that says why am i doing this there Mm. is a specific purpose for this training i am teaching you how to use this piece of equipment so you know how to use this piece of equipment and my success metric is that you know how to use this piece of equipment which you will demonstrate by doing xyz pdq whereas education is more about this notion of no there is at least as a goal the whole no do be so that the end product of an education is someone who can apply engineering thinking for example to Mm. any set of product 
problems in his or her life, which is actually very accurate. I'm sure mm. you and I both do that. Yeah. Sometimes it turns out you pr- apply, apply the engineering framework to a product that can't be solved with engineering and then things go south. Yeah. But that's now, let me say one thing. There are countries in the world where the cost of formal education is a factor. I'm thinking particularly of the US and you know the cost of going and doing a four-year degree is significant and is a financial burden that you may not want to bring on board. But for engineering, I would argue the ROI is usually there. I mean, I took on, at the time, a rather obscene amount of debt, which was $30,000, which was more than my anticipated paycheck the first year I got out, and was able to pay that off very handily in what I earned as an engineer way back in the day. It's a whole different discussion whether it should be that way, but the point is, unlike some other really valid courses of study, say philosophy, Generally, the chances are pretty good that you'll be able to... A lot of the reaction to people saying, oh, you don't need a college degree is the fact that, yes, you don't want to be saddled with four years of living expenses plus four years of educational costs when potentially you could learn on the job. And I'm sensitive to that. What we're talking here is... In a general you're sensitive sense, to anything? Yeah, I've well, never heard you say you're sensitive. No, I'm teasing you. I don't actually care. I'm just sensitive to the <laughs> yes. argument. <you> okay. <laughs> just remind you me do, when but I... but you hide it well. Uh, just remind me when I have to care about you. That's all I need. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. That's never happening. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm sensitive to that. The cost of the education is a factor, and it should not be ignored in the sense that, you know, you can go on to the job and learn skills and be successful. But what, what it usually means is that somebody who's on the job has gone beyond the basic learning and then gone off and found the fundamentals or learned the fundamentals. So, for example, in IT, a lot of people go off and start reading the RFCs and then reading textbooks in adjacent topics on, you know... If well, actually, going- the smart ones go read the RFCs. <laughs> they, the <laughs> dumb ones don't know where they exist, but yeah, carry on. Right. But you get the idea. Like, the successful people who didn't have a degree went off and replaced a degree education with a thousand hours of self self-directed research is, is yes. usually what I find. You go and talk to them and I, say, oh, I, and yeah, I do no, know I people that do yeah. that. And yeah. I do know people that force themselves through difficult difficult problems because they're the kind of human that just does that. Mm. But they're in the minority. Most most of us need to be forced through those difficult problems by the, the discipline and rigor of, of going to class or at least getting tested. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm sensitive to, you know, that that is potentially a viable path. But And as I said, if somebody who's avoided uh, institutional learning has quite often replaced it with their own self-directed learning. But really, y- if you think about it from the point of view that to be able to complete a four-year degree, you've probably invested 3,200 hours in some form of education, probably more, you know, anything up to four or 5,000. You're really talking about a much more serious commitment in terms of time and, and thing. And then the second thing is that institutional learning has a quality control process. It has the process is founded in pedagogical research, which is this idea that there's a, a science of learning or a science of teaching. And then it also has a very strong quality control around curriculum and examination and, you know, testing processes too, which is ultimately what we want to talk about in the next session, which is metrics for technology training, right? So if you go to a university, the brand reputation is based on pedagogical research, quality control around the curriculum. Is the curriculum good? Does it make sense? And then the examination process, are they honestly testing the students? Institutional learning has that quality capability, whereas a lot of 
technology training is Greg sat down on Sunday and whipped up an outline, spent a couple of weeks uh, working up a course and then presented it over on one of the technology vendors. Uh, Hope you find it useful. And and I walked away with a I walked away with a few thousand dollars for my time. Probably more likely I'm actually on a pay-per-view type of thing. So um, the, the type of quality, the quality of learning there is vastly different. Well, I would agree with that, although when mm. I saw that topic on the outline that you sketched out, uh, mm. I thought to myself, hmm, how does this apply to what we do? And I will toss out the observation that just like, just as, you know, we recommend the formal degree process for all the reasons you just talked about, but we also acknowledge that some people can get that same education without the formal degree process by self-research. Mm. I would also say that, for example, in the training that we offer, the, you know, Don Vandergriff, who's our who's our director of adaptive leadership training, has spent those, you know, 30, 40 years actually conducting the research and is mm. basing the curricula not on what he pulled out of his ear yeah. last week, yeah. um, but actually on best practices that go back 200 years and have been proven to work. And he can demonstrate that they're proven to work, mm-hmm. which is, you know, it. It's it's it is the case because we say so, but it's also because he's published widely, and you can actually go back and read his books yeah. and see this. Mm-hmm. But it's not the same level as you know a professional training consultant who was hired for a weekend to create a training <laughs> curriculum. Yeah, which, we just took know, somebody who was really good at Kubernetes and sat them down to write a course in two weeks. Cooper, you know, yeah. that is not exactly a curriculum, but it can be very useful because it's very pointed. So if you've got the exact problems that that courseware is addressing, then it it has value. Yeah. yeah, and that gets back to sort of the fundamental issue, which is even though we can argue over the difference between training and education and whether or not it's actually necessary. The reason there's so much training in the world is because you can actually prove whether or not it was successful at the very narrow no level. If you say no do B, you can say, well, I can prove that this person knows how to configure a router because I can set up a Mm -hmm. test that's hard to cheat on. Not impossible. There's no such thing. But a test that's hard to cheat on and this person has demonstrated he he or she can configure Mm -hmm. a router. Yay. Woo. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's why there's so much of an emphasis on training in the corporate IT world because it's measurable in this very narrow sense. And there's this mindset that says, well, it's up to the manager to figure out what combination of trainings will somehow magically, and I'm hand waving, (laughs) magically lead from knowing to doing and being. So the, Mm. you know, and I've been responsible for building career development for engineers. And the Mm. idea was, well, you teach them the right portfolio of technical training and somehow magically they will go from knowing something to being able to do what you want to being able to be what you want in the scenario you want. Yeah. And I want to get back to that whole mission control, uh, mission yeah. command. The test mm-hmm. that I apply to education or learning or you know whatever, right. training, is narrow knowledge versus broad knowledge. I think very loosely, and this is you know just a concept, not a not a not not a science. If you go and do a one-week training course, you're learning narrow knowledge. I think you've made that point, and that yeah. you know, and I think we agree on that. But the the further point is, knowledge is just the first step, and yeah. that's the piece that if if nothing else comes out of this discussion, I'd like people to have internalized. Mm. Narrow knowledge versus broad knowledge is a very important distinction. We can all agree on it. We've mm. talked about why training is not does not replace university curricula, and university curricula may not replace training. Yeah. We get it. The point is, though, knowledge is step one. Mm -hmm. So know, do, be, being able to implement that knowledge is step two, which is very rarely either in education Mm. or training tested effectively. And as for be, to be, as in 
how do you test that a person has become the kind of person you want them to? That's very difficult as well. I also want to draw a differentiation between uh, personal training and technology training. So you talked before about leadership training. One of the things that we don't do a very good job of in IT is teaching people how to be colleagues and workers. We often teach people how to be managers, but nobody teaches you how to be a salary slave. Nobody teaches you how to be a part of the team and do the things that if you know if somebody asks you to do a task, just go and do it and don't complain about it and don't whine behind you know that sort of stuff. So there is a there is a gap between I would I would argue there's actually no gap because mm. essentially the whole point of B is that you are a different person than you were before you underwent the training process. Yeah. And being a different person, you can't you can't siloize that. You can't be the same person in your personal life and a different person at work. It just means you've expanded your portfolio of ways to react and behave and pruned out the ones that are ineff ineffective in certain scenarios. But I kind of want to come back to this if you, you know, if you start mm. with the no, do, be, that starts to get at the other big point that I'd like to make for this particular session, yeah. at least, which is, as we talked about earlier, 99% of training and education is done wrong. We're used to somebody up at a blackboard or a whiteboard talking and drawing pictures or somebody up with PowerPoint uh, lecturing. Mm. That's the wrong way if your goal is for the person to either know something and or be able to do something or to be able to be someone. Mm. There's enormous research that's been done that shows across the board people need experiential learning. Mm. Nobody really learns anything until they they put it into action themselves. Now, there's some people that can read a book, internalize it and take action all on their own. That's really wonderful. But they're the minority of people. Mm. You know, I keep referencing my ex-husband, but he used to be able to read the book and then show up and take the exam and do well and then retain the information later. Mm. That's great. He's actually highly unusual. He has 40 patents, you know, just <laughs> a very different human. Yeah. Most of us, we learn by doing mm -hmm. and Almost no curricula, whether it's training or education, actually involve doing. And the key point is you should be doing in the classroom, not just doing, you know, it's it's great if you say, well, we'll give you some theoretical background and then we'll send you out in the field. That's actually a, a whole lot better than just the theoretical background. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. But ideally, even the getting of the theoretical background should be an interactive process. So instead of me lecturing you on the theory, Greg, let me tell you what the theory is. I find a way to either Socratically or in some other way, have you tell me what the theory is, then you've learned it. It's the old story. If I can teach you, I've probably learned the actual topic. It, it, exactly, exactly. Level, which is why you and often what's, what's, have seniors, team seniors or team leads teaching people because it's a good way for them to learn and make sure they well, not, and you know. and but realistically, you really want the teams to be teaching the the seniors because that's no. But I mean, in general, whatever the topic is, if even if purportedly the 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 lecturer is supposed to be imparting his or her wisdom, mm. the point is that the only way that that the people who are being lectured at can actually internalize that wisdom if, is if they can teach it back to someone else, up to and including the lecturer. Or their peers, and that's mm. that's the other piece that you know Don has spent uh, our our Don Vandergriff has spent most of his life trying to figure out how do you make that possible in a classroom environment, and he's actually figured out that it turns out that most people learn better in an environment where they're interacting with their peers, mm -hmm. and the role of the lecturer goes from being person with knowledge to facilitator. 
Yeah. So and that's where it a lot of vendor technology training goes because you do all the labs. You do they talk for an hour and then lab for an hour. Well, that sort of idea is tends to be more common. Is that leans into your way of doing it? You know, the thirty to forty hours that you spend in a week, you get ten to fifteen hours of theory and ten to fifteen hours of hands on. And, that, and and yeah, and that's the wrong ratio. I mean, when we mm. do our training exercises, uh, we spend literally five to ten minutes creating this scenario mm. saying here is the problem we're giving you the tools we're, and, and it's based on mission command so we say your mission is this one of the first steps of the training and usually everybody fails at it the first couple times is do you have all the information you need to go solve the problem because mm. most people have not internalized how do i ask the right questions to ensure that i have the right information mm. and this is this is really really tough give 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 about 10 minutes sketch out the problem give another couple uh. minutes so that they can reassure themselves that they understand the problem and then mm. set them to work yeah because guess what Whatever it is that they need to solve the problem, they're going to discover it when they're trying to solve it and don't have it. And that's when the real magic happens. I also want to point out there's a lot of difference between soft training and hard training. So when soft skills versus hard skills or soft knowledge versus hard knowledge, and that is uh, leadership training is soft knowledge or you know, I, I would disagree. Sales I will, politely, is soft knowledge, I will yeah. politely disagree because one of the things you can uncover is a need for hard knowledge. And actually, I think we were talking about this just earlier. Hmm. Uh, you know, sometimes you can't learn hard knowledge until you understand this, the context in which it's used. So when I was doing, when I was doing particle physics and electricity and magnetism, I suddenly realized why I needed to learn algebra. And man, did I learn algebra <laughs> and I didn't have to go take an algebra course. Yeah. I just made, I got really good at algebra because the alternative was solving these enormous equations without it. And you know, That's right. I, I do think that I will maintain that there's a difference between the two. I find um, uh, personal development training very difficult. Maybe it's because I'm mentally in the wrong place for that. But maybe that's something that we can talk about in our next show. Well, which I, I, think, will be, I think you create, yeah, which will be, but I think you create silos that either don't matter or don't exist. So this idea of personal development training, you have it all bundled in your head with, you know, smushy mm. stuff, possibly, you know, if you were politically of this mind, you'd call it all woke um, <laughs> because people do that. And, you know, it's just a label that you can slap on something that says it's the merits of it are questionable. The ability to measure it to quantify it is nil. And my need for it is probably less than nil, you know, and you throw Let's, it all let, in that let bucket. Let me just say that my, my experience of personal development and leadership training is less than is effectively that it's it's a waste of time it certainly was a waste of my time and the training that i did actually put me backwards by years it stunted various parts of my personal growth for decades because the training was trying to teach me a particular thing and i took it to heart and it was dumb and in fact i think i would just argue that's extremely bad training because you're making statements that like don't uh. align with my my experience yeah. so and and i think by the way yeah. quite a lot of training and education is bad i yeah i really do think the yeah. whole model of somebody lecturing for an hour is a terrible idea you know yeah. I, I would if i ever opened a university i'd, I'd come into class and say so Okay. Tell me about well, calculus. Our next show on this topic will be the natural successor to this is metrics for technology training. How can we actually measure 
the results of this training and Jonah believes that she's got an answer to this. I firmly believe that this that's going to be a load of wallop. So we're going to argue about I mean debate. Uh, I mean um, ask questions uh, and answers. Come on, man. Okay. <laughs> yes. Yes, we will we will question, yeah, we will question the answers yes. because uh, un, unquestioned answers are far worse than un, unanswered questions. So on that note, thanks for listening to this edition of Heavy Strategy. Thanks to Jonah. You can find Jonah over on her head on over to community.namurdies.com and uh, sign up and say that you heard about it on Heavy Strategy and Jonah will set you up with an account. I'm Greg Farrow. You can find me still twattering away at Ad Ethereal Mind and the show gets published on the packetpushes.net website along with many other five separate channels of podcasting gloriousness in the IT marketplace. Don't hesitate. If you've got feedback that you want to send us, tell us your FU. Go to packetpushes.net slash FU and we'll look forward to seeing you in a couple of weeks. Just one last thing. If you want to be on the show, contact us. uh, Let us know in the FU or in the community and we will gladly have you on the show because sometimes as much as we love each other, we get tired of each other's voices. (laughs) 